Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. I'm Virgil Sierra, lead pastor of Vertical Church in South Florida, where our aim is to point people up to God, teach them to follow Jesus, and equip them to make a difference. Thanks for connecting with us, and we pray that you are blessed by this message. We're continuing our series on the Beatitudes, everybody. Here's a quick question. You, you only know if you're, if you're here, if you're kind of part of the crew. Anybody got your Bible today? Anybody got your Bible? I want to see. I want to see. We got Christians with swords, everybody. You can put them down. If you don't have yours, it's okay. We're going to have the verses on the screens. But I am a pastor who believes in raising up a church who knows how to read, love, and embrace the Word of God. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and go to Matthew 5, which is where we'll be starting in a few moments. You can put a little marker uh, in 1 Corinthians 5 and also Psalm 32. That'll save us some time along the journey. Again, the verses will be on the screens. But for those of you who are like me and like to highlight and underline and kind of use your physical Bible, Matthew 5, you can put a marker, 1 Corinthians 5, also Psalm 32. There will be others. We'll hit them along the journey. The Beatitudes, the Beatitudes. By the way, we're in week two of this series uh, on the Beatitudes. And what are the Beatitudes, somebody might ask? Well, Uh, They're these kingdom principles right at the beginning of Jesus' most famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, which we find in Matthew chapter 5. These Beatitudes are are very, very bold statements. They are countercultural, they are challenging, and they are beautiful statements that we're studying in this series. And again, as your pastor, for those of you who call Vertical Church home, I'm asking you to not just come to church to be a spectator, but to be a part, be a participant of God's work in this, in this season and in this city and in this place and as part of this church family. Um, Jesus came to teach us these principles, but he also came to live them out. So we should learn them and also follow his lead and live them out as well. Last week, we began by noting a few things about the Beatitudes. Uh, these are pronouncements of truth, not wishful thinking of Jesus. Uh, these are statements that reveal how true joy can be found Um, And they also are statements that show the potential of what can be ours. Each of the Beatitudes begins with the same one word, which is blessed or blessed, right? Um, And the word in the original Greek writing for blessed is the word makarios, which means happy or joyful on the inside. It literally means that because of your relationship to Christ and the reality that he is in you, there is an internal joy an internal well-being that cannot be given to you by the world and cannot be taken from you by circumstances. And, uh, and last week, we studied the first beatitude. Anybody remember? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we learned that poor in spirit has nothing to do with material possessions or finances. Poor in spirit, rather, is the person who realizes that spiritually they are completely bankrupt and utterly helpless in their absolute need for God. In other words, you and I are not worthy of forgiveness or salvation in and of ourselves. Rather, the opposite, by the way, of poor in spirit, we talked about last week, is self-righteousness, which is this position of, I'm, I'm so good, I'm such a good person, and I'm so strong, and I'm so intelligent, that I'm good and worthy in and of myself. I don't need God, I don't need forgiveness, I don't need anything because I'm good on my own. Self-righteousness, which, by the way, doesn't result in, for this is the kingdom of heaven. Um, so today's title is, Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. Let me read it to you, the second beatitude in Matthew chapter five, verse four. Again, Matthew chapter five is where the Sermon on the Mount begins, where Jesus does this amazing sermon, which begins with these statements. Here's the second one, Matthew 5, four. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Can we pause and pray? 
Lord, right now, we come before you asking you to speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, I call out to you and ask you to please touch each and every heart that's in this place and watching online right now. I pray that we would hear your word. We would understand the principles from your word. And as we apply them in our lives, we would reap the blessings and the benefits that come from obedience to your word. Speak to us today. We thank you because we know you are here. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Blessed are those who mourn. Now remember the word blessed, makarios in the Greek. It means internal joy, internal well-being. And Jesus is essentially saying in this beatitude, those who mourn are joyful. Now, all of the beatitudes are kind of paradoxical because they seem opposite of what you and I would think, but I have to admit that this one seems the most opposite. Blessed, happy are those who mourn. It's, it's, it's like saying happy are the sad, right? It, it doesn't make sense. It's like saying rich are the poor or young are the old, right? Skinny, no, we'll leave that one out. It, it, it kind of it doesn't make sense. And what Jesus is talking about here, first of all, we need to understand this word mourn. Most of the time when we think of the word mourn, we think of, of grieve or we think of that feeling when we lose a loved one, someone dies, right? Um, there are actually nine different words in the original Greek in the New Testament for words like mourn, but this is the strongest one and it doesn't refer to mourning after someone dies. And this is what we need to understand today. It refers to the mourning that we should have over our sin. It follows perfectly the first beatitude that we studied last week. Remember last week I told you guys and showed you how I believe the beatitudes are actually in order and connected? Well, last week was blessed are the poor in spirit because once you realize that you are poor in spirit and that you are bankrupt before God, the next step is mourning over your sins. And so I wanna show you guys something. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter five. Question, is that Old Testament or New Testament? All right, so let's go to the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter five, before we jump to 2 Corinthians seven, because I wanna show you something in 2 Corinthians seven, which is actually a response connected to what we're gonna read in 1 Corinthians chapter five. 1 Corinthians five, verse one, and it says, it is actually, this is, by the way, this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. Like, like, if, like if there was a leader of the church somewhere writing to us in vertical church, well, Paul was writing to the, to the Corinthian church, and he says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate, even, even people that aren't God-following or fearing, a man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud? Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out, and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? Now, let's just pause there for a second. In this verse, we find mourning again, the same mourning, the same word that we find in the beatitude of blessed are those who mourn. And what, what Paul is saying to, to the Corinthian church, he's saying, you haven't mourned, you haven't grieved as if someone died over this situation. And, and then he tells them to exercise church discipline. Uh, by the way, the reason for church discipline is always for the restoration of the, purpose, of the person, not for the shame of the person, but for the restoration of the person. And it actually works in this case because we're gonna read in 2 Corinthians what Paul then writes back when he says, now receive the person back because this person has repented and he gives them some clarification on mourning. So jump to 2 Corinthians 7. 
So the next book over, I want you to see this, which is, which is very interesting. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 9. Now look what Paul says. He's writing back in this next letter, and he says, Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance. Pause. Paul's like, I'm not happy because you had to go into this difficult situation and mourning, but I'm happy because that sorrow led to what? Repentance, for you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Pause. There's a difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Paul is saying you guys showed godly sorrow. Verse 10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings what? Death. Do you see the two different sorrows? There's a worldly sorrow, right? Which brings repentance and leads to salvation. There's, I mean, sorry, godly sorrow. And then there's a worldly sorrow, which brings death. 11, see what this godly sorrow has produced in you? Paul's saying, look what it's done. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done at every point. You have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. Okay, pause. In other words, in other words, he's saying, I understand that you were made sorry, and, I, and it's not that I want you there, but look at all, look all the good that it produced. Paul's saying, look what it produced. Look at the zeal for God you have now. Look for the clearing of your conscience. Look at the desire you have. Look at the vindication you now have because you went into that godly sorrow. You, did, you were sorry in a godly manner. In other words, you mourned, so you were comforted. Because by the way, there is no comfort without mourning. I want to share with you today three lessons from this beatitude. Three lessons from this second beatitude. Number one, we just read it in 2 Corinthians, godly sorrow produces repentance. Help me out. Godly sorrow produces repentance. This is important because by the way, when you and I read the word repentance, it means change. It comes from the two Greek words, metanoia, metanoia, which means to change your mind. And you'll never change your behavior unless you first change your thoughts. And by the way, that's the biblical definition of repentance. I'm walking one way, which is sin, which is away from God. I repent and I turn back to God 180 degrees and now I'm going in the right direction. That's repentance. It's a change of direction because it's a change of mind. You will never change your direction unless you first have a change of mind. That's repentance. If you continue to think the same way, you will do the same things. By the way, that's the definition of insanity, expecting different results when you're doing the same thing. So true change will not come without a changing of our thoughts. So repentance means change. Constantly, people will come up to me and ask me, Pastor Verge, how can I change, Pastor? There's this area of my life and I wanna change, but I'm just, I'm, I'm stuck, I'm enslaved, I'm chained up because I do it over and over and over again. I've confessed it to God and I've prayed about it and I read the Bible and I come to church, but I just can't seem to change. How can I change? Well, here's the answer. It's a very similar point. Godly sorrow produces change. If we can put it on the screen. Godly sorrow produces change. True godly sorrow. So here's a question. Is it possible that we haven't changed because we haven't experienced true godly sorrow. 
Because remember, worldly sorrow produces death. Now let's go a little further and use the beatitude. Is it possible that we're not joyful because we haven't mourned over our sin? Is it possible that we do not experience this inner well-being that's beyond description because we haven't been sorrowful over our sin? And is it possible that the degree of joy that we experience is proportionate to the degree of sorrow we've expressed? By the way, if you don't mourn, you don't get comforted. That's, that's the key of even Isaiah 61, which you don't have to look for, but Jesus, when you read Luke 4 in the Gospels, he picks up Isaiah's scroll, reading straight out of Isaiah 61, and one of the things he specifically says, I have come to comfort those who mourn, connecting it to his teaching in the Beatitudes. Now, I want to show you guys something in Ezekiel chapter 9. So if, you, if you're quick with your fingers, go back to the Old Testament, Ezekiel 9. If not, we'll have it up on the screens. And it's interesting because a lot of times you find passages from the Old Testament that point to the New Testament, uh, which is before Jesus to after Jesus. And then you find uh, passages in the New Testament that point to the Old Testament. Um, and this is one. Specifically, we're going to read here about the mark of God, <laughs> which, by the way, is more important than the mark of the beast. Has anybody ever heard of the mark of the beast? Speaking of end times, right? And... Uh, and when you have the mark of God, you don't have to worry about the mark of the beast because you have the mark of God. And the question is, how do you get the mark of God? Well, Ezekiel 9 gives us a little foreshadowing. Verse 3, Ezekiel 9, 3. Now look what it says. Now the glory of, God, the, glory of the God of Israel went up from above the cherubim where it had been and moved to the threshold of the temple. Then the Lord called to the man. Pause. Who called? The Lord called, so this is the Lord, called to the man clothed in the linen who had the writing kit at his side. And he said to him, go throughout the city of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of those who what? Grieve and lament. We could put in there mourn over all the detestable things that are done in it. So put a mark on the people who actually mourn over the sin of their city and of their lives and of their families. As I listened, he said to the others, Follow him through the city and kill without showing pity or compassion. Slaughter the old men, the young men, the women, the mothers and children, but do not touch anyone who has the mark. Begin at my sanctuary. Look where he starts. Begin at, begin at church. So they began with the old men who were in front of the temple. By the way, this tells you that not everybody who goes to church has the mark of God on them. Not everyone who goes to church and says amen or sings a song has grieved and lamented over his or her abominations, as the verse says, or sins. So by, by the way, we read a few moments ago in 2 Corinthians 7 that godly sorrow leads to repentance and repentance leads to salvation. So the way you get saved is actually by mourning. You grieve and lament over your abomination or your sin, which is what we just read, and that's how you get the mark of God on your life. Is anybody following me? We've got to come to a place that not only do we see that we're spiritually bankrupt before God, that's poor in spirit, but we realize that we are filthy before God. We're dirty before God. Isaiah says that even our good works are like filthy rags before God. And there needs to come a mourning over our sin. Let me read this to you up on the screen, Isaiah 118. Look what it says. It says, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Says who? Says the Lord. Through your sin, I'm sorry, though your sins are like scarlet, 
they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. So what the Lord says here in Isaiah 1, he says, come on, sit down with me. Let's settle the matter. And here's what he's saying. Let's discuss this until we can come into agreement. Let's, let's, and specifically, the context is sin and forgiveness. And here's a, good, here's a good point if you're taking notes. When you truly understand how bad our sin is, we will truly value how good God's grace is. When we truly understand how bad our sin is, we will truly value how good God's grace is. And if you don't understand this, you're never gonna experience the joy of, tr of true salvation. It's a requirement to understand this first because you have to be able to see it. You have to be able to see, I'm a sinner. I'm so messed up and I can't save myself, but you gotta be able to see it. So, so let, me, let me share this story, uh, a story that I heard at, an, at a conference that I went to once about about this, this business owner. He was just sharing a testimony of a story. And he's, he's the owner of a carpet cleaning company. And uh, he talked about this moment where he hired a new employee. It was, it was a young man, new employee who had experience in, in carpet cleaning business. And so the guy said, okay, you're hired. He took him to, the first, um, to, the, to his first job, which was a house that was a client. And since he kind of knew what he was doing, he left him there. He went to go oversee a few other clients and a few other workers on what they were doing. And then he came back to check on the new employee. And when he got back, the guy was putting all his equipment back because he had finished, uh, finished the job. Uh, so the owner goes into the house to kind of inspect the work. And when he goes into one of the rooms, he spots a, a spot on the carpet that's, that's still very dirty. And so he kind of stands with it in front of him. And he calls back the guy. He calls him, hey, come back over here to this part of the house. And he stands right in front of it so that when he comes in, the, the, the dirt will be kind of right in front of both of them. And, uh, and so when he came back in, he, he just looked at him and he pointed down and he said, what is that? He said, everybody, everybody say with me, what is that? What is that? And so when he said, what is that? The employee looked down and he said, that's dirt. <laughs> and so when he said, that's dirt, the boss said, okay, I can work with you. I can work with you because he recognized and he saw what it was. What was it? Dirt. And so the boss said, you'd be surprised, but there's a lot of people that I've hired in the past that aren't able to recognize or realize that that's dirt and that part of what we get paid for is getting rid of the dirt. So I can work with you because you realize it. So you want to go ahead and get the stuff? And he said, I'll be right back, boss. And he went to go get the stuff to clean up. And so the boss went to his truck. And then, and then this, is what, this is what he shared. In the moment that he sat down in his truck, he felt, he's a believer, he felt the Holy Spirit ask him. The Holy Spirit brought to his mind some nasty things he said to his wife that morning. And the Holy Spirit said to him, what's that? And when the Holy Spirit said to him, what's that? He said, that's sin. And the Holy Spirit said, I can work with you. I can work with you. Because when you are ready and willing to admit and recognize the dirt in your life, God says, I can partner with you. Let's, let's settle the matter. And now what, what was crimson and red and dark and dirty now is going to be clean and, and, and fresh like white wool. Does that make sense? And so when you and I have a hard time admitting and recognizing there's sin in my life, it's, it's kind of like the Holy Spirit's going to say to us, I can't work with you because you don't even see the dirt that's right in front of you. You don't even see the things that are offensive to God that are right in front of you. And I'm telling you, 
If you want to be comforted, if you want to be blessed and joyful, you're going to have to be able to see the sin in your life and agree with God over it. All right, second point. So the first point, godly sorrow produces repentance. Number two, repentance produces joy. Help me out. Repentance produces joy. In, in, in the word, it refers to our salvation as joy as well. Now, now, I want you to flip back to Psalm 32. Let's go to Psalm 32. And I want, I want to look together. I want to show you how David talks about his own sin in Psalm 32. And by the way, he, he talks about confessing that sin or agreeing with God about his sin and what, what it produced when he agreed with God about it. So by the way, when you, can, when you and I confess our sins to God, we're coming into agreement with God about our sins. Are you with me? Are you with me? So look what David says. David says, Psalm 32, one, blessed, there it is again, right? Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. Now look what David says here in verse three. When I kept silent, pause. That's like when I didn't admit it, when I didn't come clean, when I didn't recognize the dirt, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day. I don't know if anybody here is suffering from a little bit of pain that you shouldn't be suffering from. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Have you ever felt dry and weak? Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. That's a powerful verse right there. Here's what's great. David said, I confessed. You wanna know where his confession is? Let's go to Psalm 51. Go, go to the right, about 20 chapters. It's interesting. And by the way, I wanna give you a little homework, church. Um, either today or tomorrow, I want you to read all of Psalm 51, the whole chapter, and maybe read it like three or four times and then write down some thoughts or notes of what the Lord speaks to you as you read Psalm 51. By the way, he's confessing adultery and murder here. David, the guy who's known as a God after own heart, God, a man after God's own heart, right? Psalm 51, verse one. Have mercy, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. And by the way, this isn't just like, oh, God, forgive me for yesterday, in Jesus' name, amen, right? It continues on through chapter 51, this prayer of confession, and he continues a heartfelt prayer of confession to God. Now jump to verse 12, jump to verse 12, and he finishes off, or he mentions this in verse 12. He says, restore to me the joy, you hear it there? The joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So, so let me remind you again. Let me just remind you guys. We'll stop there. Joy comes after repentance. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. 
The comfort comes after mourning. Do you know the Greek word for comfort used here is the word parakaleo, which is very similar to another Greek word that we've heard, which is parakletos, which is the Greek word for Holy Spirit, parakletos. Uh, by the way, the Holy Spirit is our comforter. As a matter of fact, parakletos means one who comes alongside to comfort. Para, alongside, kletos, with comfort. So the Holy Spirit is one who comes alongside with comfort. So you know what Jesus is actually saying in Matthew 5, this is the way we would word it today. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin because the Holy Spirit will come alongside them and comfort them. Are you, are you getting it? Is it landing? Is it possible that the Holy Spirit is not comforting you because you're not mourning? Is it possible that we are not fully filled with the Holy Spirit every day, although we believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Because let me just say something. You can't say, when you're clearly walking in sin, the Holy Spirit's in me. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. You, you cannot be walking and living in blatant sin and say and actually believe the Holy Spirit's, I'm full of the Holy Spirit. There's another part of the Bible that talks about grieving. Our sin grieves the Holy Spirit. I remember one time I was talking to a gentleman who said, no, pastor, I left my wife. I'm already with another woman. I'm not married yet. I'm having a divorce, but, but I'm full of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> to which I said, you're full of something. <laughs> but it ain't the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a different spirit. Because sin grieves the Holy Spirit. You can't tell me you're full of the Holy Spirit when you're walking in blatant sin, even if you believe. Isaiah 40, if you're quick with your fingers, swiftly move to Isaiah 40. Put it up on the screens. Isaiah 40, verse 1. Again, this is God speaking through the prophet. It says, comfort Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Okay, so I want to clarify here because that last part sounds kind of, it kind of doesn't sound that good. But it's because we don't understand what he's talking about here. You know, it kind of sounds like, like she got twice what was coming to her, kind of, double for all her sins. But I want to explain to you this concept of doubling here. Um, <clears throat> in those days, in, in those days, if, if you had debts that amounted so much to so much that you couldn't pay those debts, maybe what we would call today bankruptcy, right? Um, if a person had debts that he could not pay back and there was going to be a foreclosure, the creditor would write down on a piece of paper all of those debts specifically, and then they would take a hammer and nail and nail that sheet of paper with the debts on the person's, guess what? On the person's door, on the person's door where they, where they lived or on their doorpost. Now, a couple of things I want you to think about. 
would you want your credit card bill to be posted in the front of your door for everybody who walks around the town to see? (laughs) You know, because then everybody would know the reason why you can't pay what you're supposed to pay is because you put that card on credit. That car, I'm sorry, that new car you got, you know, that new car and the, and the bells and the whistles and the thing you wanted to buy and your plastic surgery and all that stuff, that would all be right there. It would all be right there. Saying you're not, you're not able to pay for the things you're supposed to pay for because you're, you're de- in debt with all these other things. And now you're bankrupt. And so what happens is he writes all those debts, puts it on the paper and nails it on the door of the person who has these debts. Now here's, here's what this means. This means that people walking by could read how much that person owed. And if, that's a big if, if a person had compassion, he or she could take those debts by taking the piece of paper off, doubling it by folding it, doing two things, covering the shame and the name and the debts of the person, and then taking a nail and nailing it back in and writing their name on it, saying, I will be responsible for the debts that this person owes. So now their shame is covered and their debt is paid in full. Are you seeing it? So here's what happens to you when Jesus becomes your savior and your Lord. This is what happened to me. Jesus has seen every vile thing that I have done or thought or said. He has seen every shameful thing that I've done that I wouldn't want to admit to anybody. But over 30-something years ago and change, in my life, Jesus entered. He doubled my debt, nailed it, wrote his name on my life, and he paid my debt in full. And you should be comforted because you've received from the Lord's hand double for your sins. That's a powerful truth for anybody who's received the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. One last point I want to share with you. We learned the first point that godly sorrow produces repentance. We learned secondly that repentance produces joy. So if we backtrack, we have to ask ourselves, well, what produces godly sorrow? What produces godly sorrow? Pastor, I would like to have godly sorrow so that I could change and I could have that joy. How do I do that? I want to show you a verse in Zechariah chapter 12 that I think answers this as we come to the final stretch. Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah is one of those books that gets lost right at the end of the Old Testament because it's small and hard to find and you don't often go to it. Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10. And here's what it says. And I will pour on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. Pause. A spirit of what? Grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. So let's pause there. Number three, grace produces godly sorrow. If we have to put it in one word, 
grace produces godly sorrow. But, but let me show you what brings grace. It says there, the spirit of grace and supplication. Supplication, by the way, means uh, in Hebrew, to cry out for mercy. And so the Lord says, I'm going to pour out on them a spirit of crying out for mercy and grace. And that's why grace produces godly sorrow. What if we mourned over our sin in the same way as if someone had died? But wait a second, someone did die and someone did pay our debt. What if we mourned over our sin as if someone <laughs> paid the price? See, what happens is when I see this, when I see the debts that I owe, it causes me to mourn because there's no way I could ever pay this. But when I receive the doubling of, the covering of, the forgiveness and the grace of God, it leads to a comforting that cannot be explained by this world. And so now it makes sense when Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. This made me think throughout this week, made me think a lot as to Have you ever truly mourned over your sin? Have you ever truly grieved? Because here's our natural instinct. Our natural instinct is not to see the dirt. Our natural instinct, oh, but she, but she, but my dad, and but he, and at work, and at church, and those people mess me up. And, and, and our natural instinct is to see the guilt in everyone else, but not look down and see, what is it? What is this? What is that? From the beginning, that's human nature. From the beginning, God said to Eve, God said to Adam, what's going on, Adam? The woman you gave me. Hey, Eve, what's going on, Eve? It's the serpent. And ultimately, it's your fault, God, because you're the one who created all of us. And there's no true mourning. There's no true responsibility. And we keep living life thinking that we're good, but we're not because we're not, we haven't mourned and we will not be comforted because you will not be comforted unless you first mourn. Blessed are, the, are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And my question for you, not to answer right now, but to assess and evaluate your life, have I ever mourned over the sin that has caused so much hurt in my own life, in the lives of the people around me, and not to mention God's heart? Because until that happens, I don't think there's any salvation. Because we can look pretty and come to church, amen, and be really good people and yet have never mourned over our sin. To then, not to stay in mourning, but to open the door to the comfort of the comforter, the Holy Spirit. So I wanna finish off our service. I wanna pray two prayers. The second prayer at the end is gonna be for anybody who maybe feels like they don't know God, or you've never really started to understand a personal relationship with Jesus. I want, to, I want to give you that opportunity, which many people here have done. And every week, there's people who do it every service. And, and, and we can take that first step with you. But this first prayer, I just want all of us to take a moment before God to just consider, have I mourned over my sin? Because ultimately, we all want to be comforted because we need that. But comfort will come only when first 
Morning comes. And so the morning is not like, oh my gosh, I'm so sad. No, no, no. It's about, I've broke God's heart. I've sinned against, in some cases, my wife, because if I'm married, I've sinned against my parents. I've sinned against my friends. And, and hey, 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 this is, I've sinned against myself. Doing these things and living these ways. And the world says, live it up. Do whatever you want. Enjoy. Have pleasure. Keep following that pattern. See where that leads you. It will only lead you to worldly sorrow, which leads to death. But godly sorrow, it leads to repentance. And what is repentance? It's a change of mind. Metanoia. I was walking one direction and somehow God used somebody or a situation or a circumstance or his creation or he himself spoke to me and realized I'm headed in the wrong direction. I need a metanoia. I need a change, a repentance where I change my direction and I start walking back to God. And sometimes I realize, what have I done? What have I done? Lord, what have I done? What did I say? How did I hurt that person? How arrogant and prideful. To... And then I realize, and I'm like David, and I'm like, oh gosh, I'm seeing it. And the Holy Spirit asks, what is that? And I'm like, it's sin. I'm dirty. I'm messed up. Which leads me to change, to repentance. And in him, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I want to take a minute right now, and I'm going to give like a minute of silence. And just in your heart, in your own soul, I want to give you an opportunity to maybe begin this conversation with God. And by the way, if you don't even know what, like Pastor Rich, I'm, I'm good. I don't know nothing. You're going to need to ask God to show you because the, the dirt and the grime is there. And maybe ask some friends and some family members who know you well. Because those who know us well, they know all our blind spots. And have a moment right now before the Lord to be sincere and honest and say, Lord, show me, show me where the filth is. Show me and help me see it and call it what it is like David did. Because if I don't and I keep hiding it, it's going to affect my bones. It's going to affect my life. It's going to affect my joy or lack thereof. And I want a, joy, a life full of joy. I want to be blessed internally with a joy that the world can't give and that circumstances can't take away. So right now in your heart, I'm going to give a minute of silence. And after that, I'm going to kind of lead a little prayer with us. And just take a moment right there in your heart and ask just in in your heart, just ask him, Holy Spirit, show me the dirt and the filth and help me admit it and confess it and repent of it and turn away from it in a change of mind that leads to a change of life and behavior. Just ask him in your heart right now. Lord, I ask you to pour out on us a spirit of grace and supplication so that we can look on him who we have pierced and we can mourn with godly sorrow over our sin. God, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts today that we will never forget. 
And Lord, when we stumble and when we fall and when we miss the mark and when we're tempted, we'll remember what our salvation cost you. Lord, I don't believe that you want us to live sad lives. I believe you want us to live lives that are full of joy, but understanding that the comfort and the joy comes after we mourn. So Lord, I pray that when we miss the mark, we would be quick to pray for godly sorrow. And I pray that we would always remember what you did for us, the price you paid, how you doubled our debts by folding the sheet over and writing your name on it and taking the nails for us. And Lord, in the same way that we receive from you godly sorrow, we receive also Holy Spirit comfort. We receive forgiveness and mercy and grace, which we don't deserve, but thankfully receive. We receive the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. And Lord, we just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We confess to and before you everything. Everything we've done, said, thought that is not pleasing to you, that is worldly, that is carnal, that is sinful. Lord, we confess. We mourn over it. We rec- but we recognize it. We don't ignore it, Lord. We see it. And like David, we choose to confess it. And Lord, we pray that as we do so, it would lead us to repentance, to a change of direction and a change of life that leads to true satisfaction, to true joy, to true purpose in you. We thank you today, Lord. We thank you today, Lord. And we affirm and we come into agreement with your statement, Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vertical Church Podcast. And thank you to all of you who give generously to this ministry. You make this ministry possible. You can always give online by visiting us at verticalchurch.com. And if you enjoyed this message, you can subscribe, rate it, share it with your friends, and you can also share it on social media and tag us at vertical underscore social. Thanks again for listening, and God bless you.